This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, August 12th, 2022 edition. Steve Peasley is on vacation this week, so I am Justin Klein filling in on this Friday. And I look forward to closing out this week with your finance and investment questions. And the phone number, as always, is 888-99-CHART. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or if you're listening live, that's great too. You can call and interact. And I love that interaction as well. So I've got a packed podcast for you today. My main focus point is in regards to inflation. And we're going to dig into the details of the inflation figures in, um, in, in, a, in a little bit and kind of break it down between goods and services. And I really want to hone in on that because a lot of people, they focus on the headline number, but the devil's always in the details. Was it should have been lower than the headline number or vice versa? So we're going to look at that. Also, the stock buyback uh tax, I guess, excise tax is going to, looks like it's going to be part of the, uh, the package that is going to pass Congress and be signed by President Biden, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And so in a way for them to, or for government to raise some taxes. And the big question is how will it have an impact on markets and companies? And then the next financial crisis, where is it going to be centered? Hint it, it's probably going to be more in the unlisted market, private equity, private REITs, etc., private credit, all of these things where there's a lot less oversight, a lot more leverage, and it's a lot more opaque. And most people don't really understand what's in it. So we're going to look at what could potentially be the next source. So that's, that's what I have on the docket for today. But ultimately, it's about you. It's about your questions and my answers to those questions, the unbiased answers, just using the facts as I see them in front of me. Now we have some caller voice bank questions ready to play as well. One on FCX, Freeport MacMoran, and cryptocurrency. So I'll get to all of this on this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, I'll take your live calls as well at 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a very positive day. The S&P was up 72.8 points. And really, this is on the back of the import and export prices that came down. Import prices came down for the one, two, three, fourth month in a row. It peaked in March at 13% and now is at 8.84%. Obviously, a strong dollar helps that. Uh, but what's interesting is that export prices also came down pretty dramatically from July. So they were kind of sticky, right? When this, the dollar is strong, then it makes our, our exports more expensive. So it's natural to see that. 
But what's interesting is, although the dollar has kind of been sideways over the past month or so, export prices came down dramatically. They peaked in May at 18.63%, hit 18.14 in June, so kind of a sideways move overall. But in the month of July, down to 13.1%. So a big, big deceleration on that side. So multiple factors are, are showing that the inflation has peaked in some way, shape, or form. All right, so that's the market today. It was, uh, it was, it was nice and bullish. Uh, we're getting quite a little bit up to resistance. I think uh, we did cross on a close of the week. So across a major resistance level, the 50% retrace from the move from the highs in January to the bottom in June. And we're probably going to go to that next level, which is about a couple percent higher from here. All right, so that's the market to close the week. Now let's get to our first caller question now. Hello, Invest Talk. I love your show. This is Enrique from San Diego. My question is PBA, Pembina Pipeline Corporation. I'm looking to pick some up, and they're paying a dividend of 5.54 for an energy play. I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you very much. All right. PBA. This is a company that is out of Alberta, Calgary, Canada. And the can it's an operator that provides transportation and midstream services across Alberta and British Columbia. So it's a Canadian pipeline company. And this typically does well in an environment where uh, oil prices are relatively high. Why? Because there's a lot of oil sands up there in Canada, and those are only viable at relatively high oil prices. And so they're, they're doing well in that regard. Nice 5.2% dividend yield, which uh, I like. Uh, now that once again, isn't the end all be all uh, of of uh, the analysis. So remember that. Uh, but I like it overall. It, uh, it has pipelines and gas gathering facilities, as well as assets across fractionation, storage, and propane exports. So that's pretty interesting as well. Earnings next year are expected to go up, or this year, up 11% to $2.21, but down a bit, 1% to two nineteen next year. It's trading at about 19 forward PE, trading right now around $38. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's cheap. It certainly rallied nicely off of its lows from uh, just recently around 32. Now we're up around 37 and change. Uh, but I like it. Uh, would it be the top of my pipeline companies? No, because we do own some pipeline companies for clients that we think are a bit better. But you know, I like it. It's a, it's a good company, but I would probably look for something else maybe here in the U.S. where there's more production growth typically. And so I would go with a U.S. pipeline company. Now we're heading into a break. It is Friday. And since I'm working today for Steve, I will share some highlights from the KPP Premium Newsletter. That's coming up. But for now, I welcome your finance and investment questions. So call on Desktop at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've 
Learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. Your long-time listener from Switzerland. I wanted to ask you a question about cryptocurrencies. I haven't heard any of your listeners asking it, and it's the following. I have crypto, and I bought it using Tether. And I have heard um, a lot of things about Tether and how can it collapse and so on. The question is, the coins that I own, the BTC, the Ethereum, whatever, but with Tether, if Tether collapses, what happens to my coins? Do I still keep them because it's a pair, then they lose their value? Could you please shine some light on this? Thank you. And I'll hope to hear the answer on the show. Bye now. Now, I, I by no means uh, am a complete expert on the crypto space. From what, But the way I understand it, no. If, as long, if you're holding another currency or a cryptocurrency and not Tether itself, the stable coin, then you're, you're probably fine. Um, you know, my issue more is with cryptocurrency in general. And what's interesting is we just had a, a, a big bounce in risk assets. We've seen that over the past two months from the June lows and cryptocurrency has gone up as well, but it's been very weak, very weak. Typically in a risk on environment like that, you would see much more money being flowing into a, a risky asset like uh, like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, so to me, I think that if there's next the next risk off event, I could easily see crypto breaking through its lows. But let me just address the broad, and I do think Tether is a huge risk. I think there's potential for that to completely collapse at some point, um, and just the whole crypto space in general. And, and let me explain a little concept here. There's what is called uh, broad money, and then there's base money, broad money and base money. So what happens is, uh, the government creates base money. And so base money would be the reserves on a bank balance sheet, for example. Okay, that's not out there in the economy, but it is a base money for for, for uh, banks to go lend against, right? They can lend 10 to 1. So for every dollar of reserves, they can lend $10 out into the economy, and they actually create money. So a lot of people don't understand. They say, oh, the Fed's are printing all this money and creating all this money. The vast majority of money that is created is actually banks creating that by giving loans out. And they have reserves, once again. That's base money. The, the, the amount of money that's going out there in the economy is broad money, okay, through loans. So that, that's the difference there. What happens in a leveraged system, like our banking system, when you have prices collapse, a deflationary event like 08, you need a central bank that will come in there and or government that will come in there and infuse capital into the system and reflate everything. 
Okay, that's why the Fed is always coming in, doing QE, lowering interest rates. They're, they have to keep the system growing. Now in crypto, it's trying to get out of that, right? It's trying to offload what's happening uh, in our traditional banking system and create a new system. The problem is, is that there are loans within the crypto space as well. And so there is base money and there is broad money in the crypto space. So when people borrow money against their Bitcoin or their Ethereum, they borrow crypto to and, and, and have leverage and there and that's where that yield is coming from when you're putting it into those stable coins. What happens is is those loans get called in and there starts to be a deflationary force within there. The, there's nobody there to reinfuse capital into the system. And so a system that doesn't have a mechanism to reinfuse capital into it is always going to eventually collapse back to base money. And that's why I honestly think they'll eventually get there. We'll get back to base money in the crypto space. Now, maybe that's a good thing, but it probably also means lower prices because you're squeezing out most, if not all of the leverage within that system. So hope that was a a good primer on uh, the difference between broad and base money and crypto versus our traditional banking system. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this headline. One shocking chart shows wild price swings and difficulty with predictions. Now, inflation is falling, but it's not happening evenly across all goods and services. So we're going to let's dig into the details of the CPI report, which it was flat month over month. Okay. And year over year, though, it decelerated. And that just goes to show you how you have base effects. There are base effects. Are you looking at it month over month? Or are you looking at it year over year? And if you, as we get into the back half of this year, the base effects, remember inflation started taking off, you know, it was, uh, the back half of last year. And that was the talk is inflation transitory, is it not? And so as we get through the back half of this year, it's going to be a lot harder to keep that inflation going higher. For example, if oil, I always use this example, if oil goes from 50 to 100, that's a 100% increase. For inflation to stay just flat where it's at, that 100%, oil has to go from 100 to 200. If it just goes to 50, that's a deceleration in growth, or sorry, 100 to 150. That's a deceleration in growth. Okay, so that's the base effect right there. Now, it's probably a little too soon to say that this deceleration from 9.1 to 8.5 is something that is going to stick. But let's dig into the details overall. Now, how what were the main drivers of the drop? Well, it was actually energy prices. Overall energy prices dropped by 4.6% in July. That subtracted about 41 basis points from total monthly inflation uh, data. Okay. And Mainly that was gasoline prices, which dropped 7.7% in the month of July. Now, energy, though, only makes up 7.5% of the total CPI. So that's why that big drop only had a small effect on inflation. Overall, food prices were up 1.1% in July and grocery expenses 1.3%. That increased it by about 15 basis points because food and housing are 46% of the total CPI figure. So... A lot of this was, once again, driven by the lower cost of energy. Most other things were still relatively flat, modestly higher month over month. Now I'm going to take a fast break here. Remember, I'm ready to take your questions now 
on Invest Talk at 888 chart. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Good afternoon, Stephen Justin. Steve Ozier calling in from Concord, New Hampshire. Hope all is well. Just wanted to check in on a stock we've talked about in the past Freeport MacMoran, ticker symbol FCX. I'm looking to add a little bit to that. I do have an existing position that I'm down slightly in and looking to double down on it. It looks like it has decent financials and the chart is finally turning around a little bit, but I want to make sure that there isn't something out there that I'm missing and I shouldn't be investing in this. So hoping you can take a look at it and let me know on the podcast. Thanks. All right, looking at Freeport MacMoran. They're one of the largest copper miners in the world. Now, they do have some gold and silver and, and other uh, types of mines, but mainly this is a company that mines copper. And it's in the basic material space, which I definitely like. And it has come down pretty substantially from its 52-week high, down about 40% from that high, and up about uh, about 15% from its recent low. Now, earnings are expected to go from 313 last year down to 275 this year, and then down to 222 next year. So you are expected to see this pullback in, in the, the earnings. So that's the biggest um, worry, and analysts are downgrading those earnings expectations. Now, the biggest risk here though to me is just simply what's happening in china uh they're a big uh, big user of copper to to build out their their uh their real estate and obviously their real estate markets having uh, some issues uh now there's that's the the headwind i would say um if the chinese economy continues to kind of languish and they don't stimulate uh which they probably won't near term but Probably in the next couple of years, they, they will in order to spark, uh, re-spark the, the energy of their economy. Uh, so that's kind of the near-term headwind. Now, longer-term, copper is a vital ingredient in things like electric vehicles. The average electric vehicle takes eight times more copper than an internal combustion engine. And if Ford and GM and all these other companies are going out there and they're building far more electric cars, they're going to need a lot more copper. And so that's going to replace, I think, a lot of demand. And so to me, copper longer term is my one of my favorite uh, green metals. And that's really what we're what we're doing here is we're we're replacing our fossil fuel usage for energy and replacing it with uh, metals that are needed to sustain uh, clean energy type of infrastructure and assets like electric vehicles. So copper is a great conductor of electricity. So if everything's becoming electrified, copper is going to be in super high demand. So uh, I like Freeport. It's probably one of uh, the top two or three in the world when it comes to copper investments. I think there are other better alternatives, um, but it is still a very good one if you're trying to go for kind of the safest copper play. All right. Now on Friday, Steve generally makes time to fit in a quick rundown of some key benchmark numbers for the week. So why don't I do that? Now, the two-year treasury yield was at 3.248%. That's up just a tad from last week. 
and continues to increase over the past um, couple of weeks. Uh, and you kind of see a, a, a grind higher as we hit a recent low in short-term rates on uh, that Fed pivot. Now we're more in a trading range overall, and the 10-year showing that as well. 2.85 on the 10-year, up slightly from last week, two basis points, uh, but down from where we were, uh, let's see, seven weeks ago, that was at 2.85. Nine percent and five weeks back, we were over three, three point one percent. So we continue to be in this kind of consolidation range for interest rates overall. Now, gold was priced at around eighteen hundred per ounce. That was up from seventeen seventy three last week, and we're getting a nice strong rebound from where we were a month ago at seventeen oh four. But we're still down from fifteen weeks ago. We're at nineteen eleven. So uh, some good head, good, good, good. Um, Good movement in gold over the past few weeks and, and coming off that extremely oversold level last month. Now, silver today was at 20 spot 71 per ounce, and that was up from 1988 last week. Also, similar pattern as gold. Now, oil was selling at 92.40 a barrel uh, at the end of this week. Last week, it closed at 89.63, so up a bit. And what's interesting is with all the strategic oil reserve flowing into onto the market, it's not really pushing oil down too much below that hundred dollar mark, hundred yeah, hundred dollar barrel mark. So I still think oil overall is uh, in a bullish pattern longer term. Now the national average gasoline was at $3.97, back below $4 for the first time really in a long while, really over the past 24 weeks was the last time, 24 weeks ago was the last time it was below $4 per gallon. California here is at $5.37, also down about 13 cents week over week. In Hawaii, which I will be going to next week, the gas at the pump was averaging $5.38. So the only place where it's more expensive than here in California. Now we're moving back into a break and it is Friday and the podcast is loaded with content for you. So we welcome your questions at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so... Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Welcome back to Invest Talk. I hope you've been telling your friends about our podcast and remind them that it is free. Now let's take a live call back to Minnesota. And we're talking about Dropbox. Bach, excuse me, Bach. How you doing, Bach? I'm doing well. Uh, I appreciate you taking my call. Uh, my question is, is about Dropbox. Uh, I've held it in my portfolio for uh, quite some time, pretty much three years, and I'm break even on this current, you know, run that it's having. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, is uh, I'm already pretty o- underweight in technology in my portfolio, but mm-hmm. I've been considering just cutting loose of Dropbox and moving that into a company like Toro. I was wondering if Dropbox would be a good position to be looking to trim out of your portfolio here, or is that buyback program that they have uh, give it some um, some value here long term? Well, I'm not privy to what that buyback program is is but i can tell you that dropbox business is certainly decelerating from its pandemic highs supposed to make a dollar 54 or they did make a dollar 54 last year but only supposed to make a dollar 53 this year and earnings estimates continue to come down for this year and next year and if you look at its uh, return on assets it's been good lately uh, but for the most of its history it's been negative um, or just kind of vacillating to positive and negative. So it's long-term profitability is pretty poor. And you can see that just with the, the stock chart. Um, so, you know, I would, I would be trying to sell it on this. Uh, I just don't, 
have a lot of faith in the business. It's cloud storage overall, and they have a lot of subscribers. They were kind of a first mover. The problem is, is that just think of everybody having their iCloud and, uh, you know, we use uh, OneDrive with Microsoft uh, internally with our business. Um, and that's, that's where you, you, these ecosystems are really where cloud storage is going because it's just easier to move and track your files um, and share them on those type of platforms. And so I just don't think Dropbox has that. It's just straight up storage. And, and, and frankly, I think that's a commodity type business. So I, I wouldn't be holding this long term. I would be replacing it. Now you were looking at Toro. Is that uh, the, the lawnmower company? Yeah, I just uh, I wouldn't mind overweighting my uh, portfolio in industrials at the moment. I know you were just saying the other day that it's all right to underweight in a certain sector and overweight in a certain mm -hmm. sector, you know, with the market, uh, yeah, you know, the market forecast. So, uh, yeah, I would much rather own Toro than Dropbox. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Edgar in San Diego, looking at XLV, which is the healthcare select spider sector ETF. You own it or looking to buy it? Uh, no, actually, uh, my nephew needs to get some exposure in mm -hmm. uh, his Roth IRA, and mm -hmm. he does not have any healthcare exposures. And he's considering looking at the XLV or VHT, the Vanguard Healthcare ETF. I was wondering, which one do you think is it's for a kind of a, about 10 years long-term uh, investment? Well, I don't love the healthcare sector overall. I'll say that. Uh, you're just seeing what's happening with the prescription drug uh, part of the Inflation Act or whatever they're, they're passing right now. And it's going to negotiate prescription drug prices. There's a lot of pressure from Congress on getting those prices down. And so if you buy either one of those, you're going to get a lot of exposure to Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, AbbVie, Eli Lilly, Merck, etc. cetera. Uh, and those are all going to be very, very, um, I think, not impaired, but they're going to struggle to kind of grow over the next five, 10 years when you don't have the government continue to dole out more and more money and they're able to just willy-nilly increase their prices for their drugs. So uh, it's not a space that I would be excited to get into. Uh, now you could say I want to gain access to other parts of the healthcare business, whether that's research, I don't love the biotechs because most of them lose money. Um, I don't love the healthcare companies because they kind of wrote Obamacare and inflation for healthcare continues to go up. And I, I continue to think that we get more of a, a, a Medicare for all type of uh, system over the long term uh, than something that's more private. Um, so I, I don't like that. I just don't like a lot of the subsectors within the healthcare space. And then on top of that, in an inflationary environment, they don't typically do very well uh, because a lot of them are bond proxies. So, you know, I wouldn't be eager to get involved with uh, these these ETFs. The only part of the healthcare space that I think is relatively attractive would be the uh, medical devices. So, you know, things that are drastically needed, heart valves and, and things that uh, for surgery and all that. And I think those are going to say, stay relatively steady, have a lot less 
pressure on uh, those those prices to go down uh, because it's a much smaller percentage of what Medicare and other health uh, providers uh, you know spend on. Um, and so that's the only kind of subsector I would be interested in. And you're just with these ETFs, you're just getting a lot of the stuff that just has a lot of, of longer term headwinds in my mind. So I'm passing on both. Thanks for the call. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And now I have a preview. Now, in the market conditions section, we explain that the market continues to rebound this week with optimism from softer-than-expected inflation report. Food prices dropped significantly in July from the previous month, particularly the cost of wheat and vegetable oil. And this is according to the United Nations, United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And it's encouraging to see the price prices fall month to month. They're still 13.1% higher than they were a year ago. Prices that consumers pay for a variety of goods and services rose 8.5%. And that's down uh, mainly because of a drop in gasoline prices. On a monthly basis, the CPI mix was flat as energy prices declined 4.6% and gasoline fell 7.7% according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. These price metrics are important to follow as the Fed weighs them heavily when making their decisions on whether to raise the Fed funds rate and by how much. To give you an idea, before this week, the market placed a 65% probability the Fed would raise rates by 75 basis points in September. After the CPI number, that's flipped to only 35% probability. So uh, they're, they're walking that back and kind of pushing more of a 50 basis point likely hike in September. Now, although the market has had a strong run over the last month, it may be short-lived as continued rate hikes, no matter their size, will stress liquidity. It may be prudent to take these market swings as an opportunity to reduce exposure and park some cash as the market digests a tightening monetary policy. Now, in the stock ideas section, we focus on a large American retailer with over 10,000 stores. Its home market accounts for 82% of sales in 2022, which we see as a great strength during times of surrounding geopolitical tension. 56% of its sales come from groceries. The company expects to yield fewer profits in the short term, which was has pushed the, them to search for ways to keep prices down for the consumer. It has a strong return on equity of 22% and currently holding a P ratio of 21, which is at the low end of their five-year range. We also looked at an integrated steel producer, which is engaged in producing and selling steel products, including flat-rolled steel and tubular products in North America and Europe. Due to rising inflation and elevated supply chain constraints, prices in the steel market rose early in 2022. Most of the broad market expects earnings to fall in 2023, but maintain positive oversight uh, as steel is by far the most important, multifunctional, and most adaptable of materials. If this stock pulls back into the $20 range, it could be a great addition to a portfolio. Now, we named those names in the newsletter. There's a good deal of valuable information in the KAPP Premium Newsletter. And when you subscribe to the investtalk.com, you will receive the newsletter each Saturday morning via your inbox. Subscribe at investtalk.com. Now, let's pivot over to another important news item in regards to the inflation, what do they call it? Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. And that is the excise tax on stock buybacks. And the legislation would tax publicly traded companies that repurchase their shares starting on January 1st at a 1% of the fair market rate. Now it's going to be net buyback. So this is not including uh, the shares that are issued during the year. So a lot of times 
companies will issue shares to management, to employees in order to uh, for compensation. And if you buy back those shares, then you're not part of the excise tax. But it tax. But if anything above a million dollars more than that, that's when that one percent kicks in. Now, S&P 500 companies bought back an estimated 281 million shares in the first quarter. Now, it's dipped a bit here in the second quarter to 175 billion so far. But over the last 10 years, S&P 500 companies have bought back over $6.2 trillion in shares. So think about over a decade, roughly, that would be about $62 billion in uh, in, uh, tax that will be brought in uh, by this, this excise tax. And that would, that $6.2 trillion is enough to buy Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet combined. Now, roughly four and five financial and material companies have buy back their shares. Two-thirds of companies in tech, staple, consumer staples, industrial, and consumer discretionary sectors buy back their shares. Uh, but in the utility, energy, and real estate sectors, only about a third of those buy back their shares. So you can kind of see which sectors that's going to weigh most heavily on financials materials. Okay. Now, most companies in the S&P 500 reported at least some buyback over the past year, but 27 account for half of the total spending. The top five, Apple, 91 billion, Alphabet, 54 billion, Meta Platforms, Facebook, 53 billion, Microsoft, 32 billion, and Bank of America, 21 billion. So, uh, For example, Apple reportedly purchased 653 million shares over the last year, but issued 106. So net, if you take them at the $130 price that it is now, that they spent $71.6 billion on net buybacks. So they would pay about a $700 million tax bill because of that. Now, how much would this is expected to raise over the next 10 years? $70 billion. So a decent chunk. Now companies could pull back on purchases and that would certainly affect markets a bit, uh, but mostly at the margins because I still think there's there's a, a very good reason. It's not large enough to, I think, change the calculus dramatically. I think it's going to be more at the margins where companies are going to be maybe slightly more hesitant to buy back shares and get above that that million dollar mark and start to pay that tax. Now, Goldman Sachs estimates the buyback tax alone could reduce S&P 500 per share earnings by about 0.5% if they don't alter their buyback patterns, but they likely will to some degree. Now, the whole idea is to push them to spend more on employees, on uh, investing in their business, etc. And that's what, what's really going to—that's uh, really what they're, they're trying to do. Uh, but whether they'll actually fall through on that, we shall see. And you know, they could also repeal this part as well. I think if it has a large impact. Now, let's swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier from a listener in New Jersey. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Dan calling from New Jersey. I had a question about Adobe ADBE. I know that that tech has temporarily gone out of style. I know that Adobe had quite a a dot-com 2.0 style burst over the last year or two, but I'm still looking at it just because they have a sticky ecosystem, a lot of loyal customers. People have to use the Adobe suite. I also know that they have outstanding free cash flow, low debt, just great net income quarter over quarter. So it seems like one to, to keep an eye out for. I was waiting for it to get down to about 380, but it's had a recent recent spike. 
So I'm curious if you think this is one to, to load up on now and just keep dollar cost averaging into, wait for it to go back down, or maybe avoid altogether. So appreciate any of your guidance and insight and looking forward to hearing it on the pod. Take care. All right, looking at Adobe, and what I will say is you are certainly looking at a, a very solid company with a great platform, like you said, a lot of their a lot of their software suite are necessary tools, in, especially in the creative space. And they move their business to more subscription service uh, over the, the long term, which is going to make it uh, less cyclical. And I think the market uh, certainly likes that. The issue, though, is that in a down, they haven't tested this model in a down economy. And where employees are laying off people and they're paying for less subscriptions for software services like Adobe. And I think that is something Microsoft's uh, starting to see uh, and Adobe will see that as well. And you're already seeing earnings expectations for this year and next year fall. Um, now, technically, it did hit major support right around $356 and bounced nicely off of it so far. Uh, but ultimately, I would like this closer to 275 so that's my mark there because it's still trading at pretty expensive valuation, about 12, about 13 times sales, which is pretty expensive in my book. Uh, I would like this closer to the high single digits. Uh, it's where it typically has been cheap before and we're not quite there yet. But at 275, I think we would be. So good company to have on your watch list and I like that you're looking at it, uh, but I, I do see another leg down. I think we're this is our bear market rally, especially in the techier, growthier type of names. And we've seen that over the past couple of months and Adobe got caught up in that. But we're going to have likely a grind lower. I don't think we've gotten to full capitulation. There's still a lot of people uh, speculating on meme stocks and AMC, etc. So uh, that ha they haven't broken the spirit. The market hasn't broken the spirit of the speculator. And that means likely this will have another down move over the next couple of years. And at 275, that's when I would get excited to pick it up. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk, and the weekend is here, or almost here, but I've got time for at least one more call. So if you have a question, give us a call now at 888-99-SHART. Markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Oh, hi, Justin. I'd like to know what is your opinion on plug power and fuel cell. Thank you. Bye. These are story stocks. These are companies that have never made money. They always, they always just basically issue shares and dilute shareholders into oblivion. Uh, Plug Power continues to lose money and issue more shares. Fuel Cell also continues to uh, lose money and sell more shares. So both of them are money losers, terrible businesses, and the epitome of story stocks. And they've been story stocks for not just a few years, but a few decades. And they've never been able to apply their technology in an economic fashion, an economically viable fashion, let's say that. So both of these are bad investments. Thanks for the call. 
Now, lastly, let's touch on where maybe the epicenter of the next financial crisis. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be tomorrow or next month or even next year, but 08 saw huge crisis, a huge turmoil uh, surrounding subprime mortgages. But the most recent egregious misallocation of capital is in the unlisted equity space. $9.8 trillion have been put into unlisted equity, private equity, early stage venture funding over the past decade. And it creates, uh, there's a lot of problems with it. A lot of overvaluation, optimistic assumptions, aggressive accounting, and super high debt levels driven by low interest rates. And first off, private equity, private investments are illiquid. So this isn't like a stock that you can go and trim your position or uh, just liquidate it on a whim. There's usually times where you can sell it. And oftentimes that price that you can sell it at is very different than what they're saying to you on the statement. Okay. And what you were most, most investors were anticipating for the price that they could sell it at. Now, investors can get exposed to forced distress sales and be trapped and not be able to get out of it and put that money into other things. So it's double whammy because you also have opportunity costs for that cash to be invested elsewhere. Now, second, the lack of market pricing means valuations are kind of up to models that these fund managers are coming up with. And there's a lot of, there's starting to become a lot of down rounds uh, of, of valuation. One is Klarna, for example, 2021, they were valued at 46 billion. And as of 2022, they were at 800 million, oh, excuse me, 6.7 billion. So 46 billion to 6.7 billion. And you see that with Uber, we work a lot of down rounds. And there's a lot of conflicts of interest too within the industry. And what happens is, one private equity fund will trade with another private equity fund, two of their more distressed businesses, and it will transact at this, what it looks like they're, you know, relatively high price, but all they're doing is trading one problem for another and doing each other a favor. So it looks like it was transacted at this high, high price, but in reality, there was this conflict that was really driving uh, the, those trades and their trades are so infrequent that valuations typically lag the public markets. Now, private equity originally focused on long holding periods, uh, about strong cash flows, uh, un undervalued, buying undervalued shares, low operating risk, but almost all of that is, a lot of that is gone. Uh, there's way too much leverage and it's focused a lot on things like internet platforms or software as opposed to hard assets like real estate, plant and equipment. So even if the business doesn't do very well, there's not a whole lot of tangible assets to back up the business. So the recovery values are gonna be very, very low. And uh, a lot of these non-profitable cash flow negative enterprises were dependent on continuously raising capital. And when capital dries up, that becomes a bigger problem. And so uh, lastly, there's a lot of shadow banking after 2008 because it was focused on the, 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 the banks couldn't take the risk. So somebody was willing to take the risk. And so there's a lot of uh, securitized debt within the private equity space, the non-bank credit lending space. And that's where a lot of issues are going to uh, crop up. So 
If you're invested in that space, you have private equity, you have private REITs, things like that, you need to be very wary. Don't be putting more money in, and I would be thinking about pulling as much money out as you can before you know you're 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 rushing out with everybody else. Okay. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program and week. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads and our official Invest Talk download count crossed over 44 million last week. And we couldn't do this without your support. So we thank you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast episodes anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.